There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm still wallowing in the aftermath of uh, the uh, Glastonbury Festival, I have to tell you, uh, because it was simply superb, wasn't it? Wasn't Glastonbury just great? It really, really was. I watched it over the few days and I have a few favourites. I'll tell you about them a little bit later on. But Elton, last night, I just think he stole the show. He was one of the greatest I've ever seen on the Pyramid stage as the main act on the final evening. He was simply outstanding. And you know what I was just thinking? Yesterday, Cat Stevens was the youth among the performers yesterday at 74 years young, followed by Elton at 76 and Debbie Harry from Blondie at 77. Just think about that. Their age and how popular they are and people of all ages crowding in to see them. Oh, it's marvellous. And who says the 70s, you're past it, or the 70s music is past it? Not on your life, baby. They were absolutely fantastic. And I'm going to go back to Glastonbury a little bit later on the show. And in fact, uh, we have the boys from, uh, yeah, the Mary Wallopers with us a little later because they were at Glastonbury and they performed. Our local boys will be talking to us later on in the show trees. Alan is with me too marking a lifetime at the Headford Arms in Kells and Larry Stout drops in. Talk a very serious matter the meaning of life. He has a lovely little book out called That's Why I'm Here we're talking to Larry a little bit later on if you want to get in touch with us on the show 086 658 by WhatsApp or text. But first have a little listen to this. Can I help you? Yes my name is Bond James Bond. My name is Bond. James Bond Mr. Bond. James Bond. My name is Bond. James Bond. The name is Bond. James Bond. Thank you, Mr. The name is Bond. James Bond. Yeah, that final one there. Our local man, Pierce Brosnan, as James Bond. The name is Bond. James Bond. But over the weekend, I spotted a little story. The culture secretary in the UK, Lucy Fraser making the case for a woman to be the next James Bond. What do you think? A woman? 007? Well, let's hear what somebody we absolutely love on Late Lunch thinks. She writes in the independent newspaper regularly and makes us think and makes us think about this, that and the other. Sarah Carey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. Well, what's your take on this? A woman for James Bond? Now, you stand up for many causes, women, men, etc., What do you think of this? I'm all for women superheroes, but I wouldn't replace James Bond with a female James Bond. Um, I think his character is quintessentially male. I've read all the James Bond books, by the way, Jerry. Yeah, so it's quite interesting, even the evolution from the character in the book to the one on the big screen. Um, but I think it's silly to to have a female James Bond, not because obviously a woman couldn't be a secret agent or do mm. all the same things, but simply because his character is so um, defined and ingrained in our culture. And I think there might be a solution in that you could have a female 007, because I don't know if people remember if they saw the last uh, James Bond movie mm. um, where they had Lashana Lynch, the actress. Um, was playing, she actually got the 007 designation and she was quite a great character working alongside him. Um, so I think he could do a new 007, but I don't think he could have a female James Bond, if you know what I mean, ah. because it is James. 
Sarah, you're so honest. You really are. Um, I, I, I see Keir Starmer, the Labour leader. He actually is for a lady. He mentioned it a little while ago too that he would no problem. Uh, he said this last year, the year before, in the in the role when it was known that Daniel Craig was uh, hanging up his boots. But Craig himself, this is interesting, has argued strongly that the role should not be played by a woman and said there are other parts, certainly, uh, and they should be absolutely women involved. There have been many women in James Bond, of course, as well. So Craig himself says uh, no. Yeah, and I think that's because of the character and who he is. Like, it is a male character. And um, and in all the books, you know, his behaviour is so made even to the negative parts. I mean, actually, some people would say that the James Bond character, particularly in the books, is your classic toxic masculinity. Mm. So the way he takes women and throws them aside, um, he's totally sexist, he's racist. You know, like this, he is a cold-blooded killer. Mm. Um, so, you know, it is a very, very male character. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a secret agent who isn't a woman mm. and who is equally tough and strong and powerful. And you have seen lots of very strong, powerful women in literature and in popular culture and in the movies. So, um, but I think just the idea that you would suddenly flip this character from being male to female um, I don't think people would necessarily buy into it. Now, there have been other characters in culture that they have flipped. So, for example, Hamlet is one character in Shakespeare that has often been played by a woman, going right back to the 19th century, and Sarah Bernhardt played him in a 1900 film. But I think he's a very particular kind of character um, because he's unlike any other Shakespearean male characters where he's not violent and, you know, he's not one of the kings, mm. he's not Julius Caesar and that kind of thing. So I think that can work, but I just don't know about James. You just can't see it, you know, No, can you? no, Jasmine <laughs> Bond, yes. No, it doesn't ring right at all, does it? Not in my vernacular anyway. And, and yeah. you know, uh, when you think of it, like, I was just thinking Wonder Woman, Superwoman, we're not going to have a day where there's a man playing Wonder Woman or Superwoman, are we? Well, you see, that's the thing in that, you know, preserving the character as opposed to the idea of um, women playing the superhero are mm. they're two very, very different things. Um, now, the Wonder Woman thing is quite funny, uh, Jerry, because when my children were little, now this would be about 15 years ago, they, they're all boys, and they had said to me, oh, you can't have a woman superhero. And I said, of course you can. Well, there hasn't been one. Yes, there has. Mm. I said, there's Wonder Woman. So I went off and I looked up YouTube to show them Wonder Woman because this was pre the remake. So they had genuinely never heard of her, didn't know anything about her. And when I looked her up on YouTube, uh, people had helpfully put together clips of Wonder Woman. But in all of them, it was where she was being tied up. Okay. Yes. So I thought, well, this is a bit weird. Someone's obviously putting together some little fetish thing here where Wonder Woman's tied up. Well, when I researched it, the guy who wrote Wonder Woman, or, or originally invented her in the 1940s, William Marston, and he had a really interesting life. He had a wife and then a polyamorous life partner called Olive Byrne. And he was actually into this whole thing. He believed in strong, powerful, liberated women, but that everybody uh, would lead a much better life if they could simply be persuaded to submit. And uh, he was into bondage and all this stuff. And this is how you would bring about world peace if people didn't mind being overpowered. So actually, there was this whole thing in Wonder Woman that she would be tied up. So it's quite funny. But anyway, she's kind of the first woman superhero. And there have been loads since then that mm. people would know. Um, so you can have a strong, yes. powerful uh, woman who's a hero, either one of the gods or magical powers or is human but I don't know. James Bond is James Bond. Mm. That. You're, you're right when you mention that. I think a Doctor Who as well. Doctor Who became and a Doctor can be a man or a woman or whatever. You know, so... Um, yeah, and, and with Doctor Who, you see, there was a specific thing there about reincarnation. Yeah. You know, that his body would die and he would come back every time. Now, I never saw the series where... Uh, they made him a female character. So I can't say how that worked out. I think it was popular enough. Yes. I'm not sure if you're familiar Oh, yes, with yes, that. it yeah. was. It was. It went down well and there was no problem with it at all. And I think they're back to a male character now and, and that's uh, uh, yeah. the way it happened. But again, I think you can buy that because in every yeah. single series, it was a different character. Mm. That was the whole point of Doctor Who. So there was a brand new person coming in playing him in a brand new way. Yes. So I think you could get away with it on that one. Mm. I just don't know about the James Bond one. And then actually, Derry, the other pity is that 
when these conversations take place, they become this contentious, controversial part of the culture wars and people poo-pooing it and saying it's ridiculous. In a way, it's a little bit tedious, you know. And if people do want to reinvent a character as female, and we get this with censorship of old books and things like that, it's okay to make a new character. You don't have to constantly stick with these franchised existing characters that have to be reproduced in movies one after another relentlessly. It's a very lazy way of making a film, mm. actually, mm. that will just keep on having loads of Batmans, you know, and yes. now loads of James Bonds. Just get a new character. Mm. It could be really interesting. <laughs> Double O eight. Um, I yeah. love Judy Dench, by the way, as M in the Bond series of movies. I absolutely adored her. I thought she was brilliant. And my son has every one because we. I remember buying him the collection. And he's updated since. We have every Bond on DVD that ever was. And what is a DVD? People are probably wondering. It's streamed now and stuff like that. But there you go. While I have you with me, let's move on from Bond uh, to a big, big story in this neck of the woods. Uh, since uh, late last week and uh, today with the resignation of D Forbes from RTE. What do you make of the whole Tuberty thing? It's a terrible mess, Jerry. It really, really is. And I think an awful lot of people, including myself, are dismayed, particularly because Ryan Tuberty is a nice guy, you know, yeah. and, and I think he is a genuine person mm. and it's terrible to see someone in this position. Um, unfortunately, he has a problem. I think his biggest problem is not so much the construct of this particular deal, because obviously it's possible that he wasn't familiar with all of the details and he said he didn't know which account he was being paid out of. His big problem is that his salary was being underdeclared publicly for six years, and he knew that, mm. and he's acknowledged that he knew that, and he never said anything. Yeah. And I don't see how he can get out of that one. Um, people are saying, will he ever be on air again? I thought maybe if he takes the summer off, maybe three or four months, see if things die down, you know, might the mood change a little bit. Um, but it's still very dicey for him at this stage. It's very unclear at this stage, you know, whether he can go back on. Not least because his own RTE colleagues, whatever about the usual outrage when these rows happen, you know, in the public and by politicians, will his own colleagues actually forgive him? Mm. I think that's the key issue for him. Mm. If he goes back to work, are people actually going to work with him? Mm. So that's where I think in my business and communications, we would call that stakeholder engagement. And um, they're the people that he needs to actually accept uh, that he made a mistake and let him move on. And then the other problem, of course, is that RTE, being the biggest media organisation, you know, you've covered all the time when people, especially say a politician, makes a mistake and they're destroyed. Like they have to resign immediately. And there's no mercy shown, no matter how small the mistake. Mm. And this mistake is much bigger than some of the mistakes other people have made. Uh, I'm thinking of Dara Kaliri going to that Godscape dinner to make a speech about Mark Killalay, his mentor. He didn't even play golf. He'd been told it was legal. It did turn out to be legal. Um, So RT has a lot of enemies and people who will project their experiences onto uh, them. So Ryan is in the middle of that mm. and that's his other issue. So, um, and then obviously RTE, huge governance issues that de- these deals could be done, who knew about it. I suspect D Forbes is not the only person who knew about it. So there could be a bit of a way to go on this yet. And of course, everybody's lawyering up. And that's the other depressing thing about all of this is how much is this going to cost? Big uh, review now, root and branch review, we're told into RTE. Who's going to do that? How much is it going to cost? It's very depressing. Do you suspect there may be more to come out that somebody else may have availed of a similar... It seems pretty clear and they're absolutely adamant that nobody else had to deal like this, Mm. that it was just him. In which case... You'd look back now on the last week and wonder, could it have been handled a different way? Could this have been ring-fenced just to one contract? And how has that escalated into this entire root and branch review, the whole licensee on the table, creating impotence for the entire reform of RTE? I have to think I would be really shocked at this stage if anybody else was Mm. involved. I think perhaps there might be more questions about the Noel Kelly arrangement, whereby He's representing several stars and negotiating for all of them. And I think that system whereby one person has a dominant position um, in that field, maybe that would be called into question. And people might look at that. Maybe it could have implications more for his business model than anything else. 
So, but there's a long way to go. I think, Jerry, we know on this. And now the big thing is, will D Forbes actually show up to the committees, the dog committees? Yes. I can see her saying absolutely not. And presumably that was maybe one of the reasons why she resigned, because she could no longer be compelled to do so. We do know what dog committees are like. They get very aggressive. They go on for hours. And she may say to herself, well, I'm not going to get justice there. I'm not going to get a fair hearing. Um, I'm not showing up and my lawyers can handle this from now on. So that's the way I'd expect yeah, to play out. Yeah, the story's going to run. But uh, it's mm. hard, you know, when your credibility is dashed like this. It's very hard to go back and on. That's, yeah, and that's what, like, Adrian Lynch, the current acting director general, is saying, like, this is now about trust and it's mm. huge and it and it... it you know, it feeds into that Golfgate thing as well, because do you remember when the RT people had that party after Golfgate? Yes. You know, so all those people said, look, I'm sorry. It was spur of the moment. I didn't think it through. So they all kept their jobs. But people who went to the dinner um, down the west didn't keep their jobs. Mm. So that was already there. And this now piled on top of it is, is there a double standard that one set of people can make mistakes and another set of people can't? Mm. And that, and that's, so there's a, big sense of well you guys deserve it mm. you know if this is how you're going to run your own affairs and yet these are the standards you expect of everybody else mm. I think that's a big thing in the mix here that's why there's so much emotion in the mix sure is and, and Dara Kaliri mm. actually has made a comeback anyway uh, has mm. uh, got back into government subsequently just before mm. you leave us Glastonbury I mentioned at the top of the show there and I was just yeah. looking I'll say it again Cat Stevens a young fella at 74 uh, <laughs> Elton John a little bit ahead of him at 74 and Debbie Harry, Blondie, one of my heroines of all time, 77 years young, and they're rocking the Casbah. Well, good on them. Absolutely. And even Bruce Springsteen, though, those concerts yes. recently in Dublin. Like, yeah. it's incredible. And the Rolling Stones, I think, are still mm, touring. Mm. So it's incredible. It shows the work ethic that's involved in that industry and how gifted they are. And, you know, you don't just stand up and do that. That's people who have worked at their craft for absolutely yeah. decades. And maybe it is a reflection, too, on music creation today mm. that um, there still is this longing for these older stars, like that no one has managed to fill their boots, that they are so charismatic yes. and so creative and so brilliant. Is it a reflection on modern music? Or maybe the opportunities for modern musicians <laughs> to come forward. True. So um, it's amazing. Really yeah, is. yeah. I have to say I love Lizzo. Uh, I think she's fantastic. And yeah, incredible set. energy. Oh, so look, Jerry, God. would you think about going yourself now some year? I was looking at them all thinking, I'd love now, maybe to. Maybe this is something we need to do yes. to get over there yes. and get ourselves sorted and go for it. I'm afraid I wouldn't like the wet and the mud, but <laughs> if the sun comes out, it looks incredible. Oh, it's it? the most incredible music festival ever. So there's one for the two of us. We'll get two tents. We'll yes. see if we can get the tickets and uh, <laughs> pray for the weather that it stays dry. I said it to my wife, and when I mentioned tent to my wife, she just puts her eyes up to heaven and walks away. Not a well, chance. I, I went to Electric Picnic once. I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to live the dream. And we went down and we had a big tent. And the weather was so bad that the rain was actually being pushed into the door of our tent, which had a little porch. <laughs> um, and the wind was so strong. And our clothes got soaked, including my bra. So I couldn't wear the bra. And I had to walk around the next day with my backpack on my front so no one could see my collapsing bosom. And I had a friend who lived down near there and she was texting me, I will come and collect you. This is crazy. I said, no. I said, I do it and I'm doing it. So I might go again uh, to Electric Picnic or Glastonbury, but the top tip is bring a spare bra. Well, I'll tell you, you you shouldn't have worried. She'd be just like uh, (laughs) any other of the new age travellers with no bras on and just their T-shirts. No one would have paid the littlest attention at all. I can assure you of that. Anyway, you're so good. We love when you join us. Thanks so much for your time. And do read this wonderful lady in the Irish Independent. She's simply marvellous. Sarah Carey, until the next time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jerry. Take, Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Sarah Carey there. <laughs> yes, a woman with fantastic knowledge of everything and anything in life, and with her finger on the pulse for sure. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I'm still wallowing in the joy of watching Glastonbury over the weekend. It was simply, simply uh, fantastic. I'm going to ask me sidekick here if she was watching it. Were you watching Glastonbury? Did you get a look at it at all? I know you're busy with everything else under the sun, did you?
We're, we're, we're sort of sharing a studio this afternoon. I'm in, well, I'm in familiar territory, but in fairness to Louise, she isn't really, but she's doing a masterful job here, I have to say. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, what about Glastonbury? You did, did you see any of it? Glimpses. 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 That's I all. saw Lewis Capaldi. Did you? I saw the crowd um, getting behind him, which was amazing just to watch, wasn't it? Mm. And Rick, Rick Astley rocked. Oh, he was brilliant. Actually, I forgot to mention him. Another fella, late 50s as well, just rocking the cast. Yeah, he That's is. Great, He's 57, I think he is, Rick Astley, oh. in around about that age, for sure. He was terrific. But to me, Lizzo. Lizzo and her dancers. Oh, my word. She made it, did she? Oh, she was fantastic. So she was. And we had Ava with us uh, for the last week. And you want to see Ava, little Ava, dancing and singing all the songs as well and love them. She just mesmerised it. But I thought Lizzo was absolutely brilliant. Guns N' Roses were on. Two and a half hours of noise. Oh, Jay, don't like Guns N' Roses. Two and a half hours of noise. Do you not like them? Or were they just... Poor performers. And the uh, look, they've a few, they've two or three songs, Guns and Roses. But after that, good luck, <laughs> good night, Irene. <laughs> now, probably Guns and Roses fans are going mad out you there. Used to love her. You used to love her once. No, that's different. The Saw Doctors. <laughs> the Saw Doctors. Ah, they love that one. The Saw Doctors. Jeez, yeah, Guns the Saw Doctors were on it. I'd be delighted. The Guns and Roses should record. I used to love her once. No, they destroy it. Patience, and it's not take that. <laughs> How many Guns and Roses songs can you name? Probably only about three or four. I'll I'll rest my case, Your Honour. Case dismissed. (laughs) Three or four songs and good night. The rest is noise. Absolute noise. I know the Saw Doctors doesn't feature in (laughs) The Saw Doctors had had the... They'd had them going mad in Glastonbury. Going absolutely mad in Glastonbury. Yeah, there you go. Guns N' Roses fans, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Have you had to say about Glastonbury or anything else? We'd love to hear from you this afternoon on the show. Coming up after two, I'm so looking forward to talking to her. She is the most lovely lady you could ever meet. Teresa Allen. She's a lifetime at the Headford Arms in Kells and they love her over there and everyone who calls there knows her and loves her well and she has so many strings to her bow. Therese Allen is joining me and Larry Stout will be along a little bit later on talking about the purpose and meaning of life. Very interesting man indeed. But we're heading now towards top of the hour on late lunch and sure it only has to be one thing one song for us up to two on the show this afternoon I mentioned him in the gold suit last night absolutely brilliant it's Mr Elton John I remember when rock was young me and Susie had so much fun holding hands and skimming stones had a no gold chair and a place of my own but the biggest kick I ever Let's move on on late lunch and say hello to my next guest. If you visit the Headford Arms in Kells, ah, she's the mammy of the place, isn't she? Teresa Allen, hello again. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I am really good. And I wanted to talk to you today and say congratulations on your recent award. How many years are you working at Hotel, Teresa? I started on the 12th of June, 1978. <laughs> 45 years. <laughs> do you remember your first day? I certainly do. I certainly do. Did anything happen uh, that day? Uh, well, that day I met... Uh, they, well, they're now the proprietors still, uh, Peggy and Tom Duff. Mm-hmm. And I started and met Peggy. And we went to the office, a small office, in one of the 15 rooms that the Headford had at the time. And uh, uh, Peggy was uh, a fresh young woman then. She still is good and uh, <clears throat> she's she's recuperating at the moment, but she's in good form Great. today. And uh, I remember her very well. She was in a, in a red Mansfield suit and uh, she said to me, we have to pay the creditors and we have to do wages. And I started in the office. Oh, you have great vivid memories of that day. What age were you? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was 29 years of age. Were you? When 29 years When you started age. there. I was so, one year, two years married at the time. Right. And yes, yes. Um, and, and tell me, Teresa, were you, did you work bef- somewhere before? Yes, I did. I started work after I'd done my leaving cert, done a secretarial course in the Mercy in Navan and worked in as a wages clerk and office in Navin Joinery on the Trim Road for 12 years. They're my two jobs. There you go. Two jobs yeah, in your lifetime. Two jobs of a lifetime. They're my two jobs, yes. And did you expect, you know, when you went in in June 78 that you'd be there for the long haul? No, no. Every day was a different day at the Headford in the 45 years I've been there. Yes. Really? Vincent yeah. and Olivia joined the team in the 90s and Tom, my late boss, uh, is 20 years dead and uh, like he was to the fore and there were different managers come and go. And then I suppose I started work with weddings and concerts and Christmas parties and I got familiarised then and I I just enjoy it. I enjoy meeting people. I suppose I'm a people's person, Jerry. And I sort of, the old dining room in the old days, we'd done lunch for the executives from the health board and the various banks and various places in Kells. Mm. And I remember when lunch, a three-course lunch was seven and six. (laughs) (laughs) So that's as far back as I can go. And, and of my, course, the Headford has grown over yes, the years. Yes. I saw different aspects of it from the Kennelis Suite, uh, which we started big wedding trade in the 80s and 90s and still do a good business on that. But uh, it was simple then. It was mm. simple. We plucked the flowers from the garden and people were simple and little little done us, little done. Mm. It, it was all very different then, mm. yes. So yes. Th- are you saying that, uh, that really today customers are more demanding? Yes, I would say that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in different ways, yeah. in different ways. Mm. But maybe as I'm getting older, I'm probably not as trendy, but I think... You know, and, and uh, well, I feel I am. I'm up there with, with the best of them, I suppose, maybe in my style and the way I carry on. But, like, I mean, um, will I say there are different aspects of it. And then the civil ceremonies and weddings in house, and we have a red chapel and various small bits that weren't then. It was all church weddings mm, way that, back. That has time. changed big yes. time. But, and yes. the hotel has developed marvellously, and oh, it is a landmark, Absolutely. isn't it? It's a yes, landmark in Kelsey. Olivia brought new yeah. concepts to yeah. it, and i.e. the Celtic Bar, um, like the nightclub. We had flicks way back in the olden days, and that has all changed now, and mm. uh, like it's the feeder bar, the Celtic Bar, and then... Um, that whole trend has all changed, but concerts have come in in a big way and yeah. groups. And uh, like then, it was um, the the uh, vanilla pod restaurant. Uh, fine dining was gone, and this is uh, contemporary. For instance, like mm. there was a movie night on Friday night there, and the restaurant was really busy and different little bits, Italian nights and various bits and pieces. But like the passing trade, the customers at Kells and the everyday lunch trade and then there's cafe trays and the lounge mm, and there's music then at the weekend. You are yeah. and you're movers and shakers and I know that Olivia and Vincent are and they're always thinking of new things and trying to freshen it up and do things. Yes. They're wonderful. Yes, and listen, I want to say something to you. You are right on trend because you weren't listening to me earlier on but I was just saying that at Glastonbury the weekend you had Cat Stevens 74 Debbie Harry 77 years young and Elton John 76 and the 200,000 people going mad for them just like your fans at the Headford Arms for you Teresa uh, yes yes but having said that I was in Slane too at Harry Styles Were you? last fr- Saturday week Good on and you. I enjoyed him immensely he, yes. he's the new Robbie Williams and I mean they're the things I go to and uh, I suppose my daughter keeps me in the game. She's young, she's funky. Well, well, I won't say young, but she's funky and she keeps things moving for me and I was in Royal Ascot during the week. Oh, I heard you were in Royal Ascot yes, and you yes. looked a million dollars. Where did you get the hat and the guna? 
<laughs> well, yeah, well, I got the hatters designer, Carol Canelli from Tralee. Lovely. Um, and uh, they, they, uh, I shop local here in Rosemary Dunn's and Dunn's the premier house with the girls yes. in Kells. And they're wonderful. I go no further than downtown Kells. Ah, good mm. on you. Mm. Keeping mm. it all at home. Yes. Fair juicy, yes. Theresa. Yes. Anyway, did you back any winners? In yes, I had one winner on the Thursday, Docklands. And uh, then, of course, I had to have Willie Mullins on the Tuesday. I had him and I had a couple of Aidan O'Briens, but we were at Ascot for one day. We were in the box and in a rile enclosure. But it's it's some spectacle and the mm. weather was fantastic. It fantastic. was. You yeah. love the Gigi's, don't you? I love the horses. Mm. I love the horses. And I suppose racing, I have been in since a very long time. And Navin, in 1965, I cycled with my dad to a race meeting and I have the race cards still. Yes, yes. And I love Navin. And I want to give it a little plug for the festival in November, two-day festival. And hopefully we'll get good crowds and that it'll be well supported. Oh, absolutely. Yes. It is such an important game in terms of this country and the employment it gives, the prestige, the profile, isn't it? And the smaller tracks and Mm. the, um, the local people and hopefully that it'll really do well and uh, Galway coming up in four weeks' mm. time as well. Yes, yes. Um, so that's back, it. back to you at the hotel for a moment and I know you're eager to get away and get your... Uh, yeah, there's a bus tour coming in, in now, Jerry. <laughs> so I have to be down. I, I heard this. I'm going to only tell you for another few minutes. You're a fantastic lady. You really are. But tell me this. I, I've seen you in action over there as well. It is. People are drawn to you and, and you have such a lovely way about you, Therese. And may I say that today, you're, you're simply wonderful. You are a huge part of what the Headford Arms is. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. I suppose it comes natural to me after all these years. Mm. And uh, you have to in- really enjoy it and be keyed in and um, be active with people, uh, meet their requirements, meet their needs and give them a customer experience that they will come back to the hotel. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You're one diamond in the rough that attracts them back for sure. And I wish you and Olivia and Vincent and everybody at the hotel all the very best. I say again, you're at the heart of the community there in Kells, in County Mead, in the Boyne Valley, and keep doing what you're doing. And away you go now and look after that busload that are on their way in, Teresa. Thank you very much, Jerry, and thank you again. God bless you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The one Teresa Allen there so many people know her who called to the hotel she's a simply marvellous lady and we just want to acknowledge her today 45 years she received a special award recently and she thoroughly deserves it she's simply simply lovely if you're in there say hello to her and she'll certainly have a chat with you that's for sure Hadaway what is love and your late lunch this Monday afternoon? Going back to 1993, there, huge hit for that guy. It only reached number two on the UK charts. Oh, Louise, we could have held it to tomorrow for our two on Tuesday. What's well, a two on Monday today? So, a little bit different. Don't worry, we have a two on Tuesday for you tomorrow. We have indeed. But there you go. Only made it to second from top spot, but a massive hit in the UK and across Europe as well for Hadaway. Now, a massive hit on late lunch is our Sinead Burke. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. 
Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. She's simply brilliant, the woman. She tackles any topic from light to heavy and she puts her own particular spin on it. Anyway, here comes our Sinead with our latest instalment of Burke's Banter. Afraid to open your mouth, are you? A couple of weeks ago, and quite by accident, I found myself an unwitting and very unwilling hero of the far right. I know what you're going to say. That's terrible, Sinead. Sure, we all know you've a big liberal head in you. You and Mr Burke have been known to take the Guardian. And wouldn't you be fierce strong on the unions? How on earth did that happen? Well, it was alarmingly simple. I responded to a post on Twitter and voiced the radical notion that universities should be places where ideas are debated and challenged. That was it. Who knew how easy it would be to attract the respect and adoration of everyone on the internet who thinks Enoch Burke seems like a lovely lad? The original post on Twitter was from a member of an Irish third-level institution, who was delighted to announce that they had cancelled a speaking engagement on campus from someone not particularly supportive of trans rights. Me, in my innocence, replied that surely closing the door to someone you don't agree with was counterproductive in what should be a place of questioning and debate. Well, the hullabaloo that followed, the woke crowd went berserk at me and the anti-gay and anti-immigrant gang welcomed me as one of their own. Now look, I hardly have to say it, but I will anyway. I'm very supportive of trans rights. But, and this is the crux of it, I'm not so fragile that I can't listen to and engage with people who have different views and beliefs to me. I wasn't supporting the anti-trans speaker in what they were saying. To be honest, I've read some of her stuff and she comes across as a right dose. But I was supporting her right to speak and more importantly, other people's right to challenge what she was saying. But isn't this where a lot of us are? Sitting on horses so high, it's hard to see the other side of the argument, let alone hear it. This cancelling nonsense has got to stop. There's no point in shutting people out. You're only sending them running to regroup and strengthen their ideas with others who share their opinion, never being confronted, never being challenged. I recently heard an interview with a woman who used to be part of the Westboro Baptist Church in America. You might have seen this crowd on television. They say really horrible stuff about people of colour, the gay community and people who live with AIDS. I mean, it's desperate and cruel what they get up to. This woman was a true believer and ran the church's social media accounts. Day after day, she posted offensive and upsetting things. People shouted back abuse at her online. But one lad didn't. He kept asking her to explain why she was saying this one was going to burn in hell and that one was the devil's spawn. They went back and forth for a couple of years until eventually they met up. And in the most unusual and challenging plot twist of any romantic comedy I've ever heard of, she ended up leaving the church and is now married to him. Now, I'm not saying an effective way to change people's opinions is by wearing them down and marrying them. That would take ages, and it probably wouldn't work in all cases. But there's a lot to be said for talking to people, because that's the thing with free speech. Everyone gets a chance to speak. Our Sinead Burke, on the money again, I have to say. Thank you so much, Sinead, making so many brilliant points there. And ponder on what the wonderful lady has had to say to us this afternoon on your late lunch. Quite a number of people in touch with me about Cat Stevens at uh, Glastonbury as well yesterday, how good he was. Oh, <laughs> will I tell you, forms temporary, class is permanent. And those people I've been mentioning all afternoon, they have it. And by the spadeful as well he was terrific even his new songs he's written I thought were really really good because you know when you go to a concert they want to push out some of the new stuff some of them put out too much of it and you, you're waiting for the, the back catalogue and it doesn't happen but I think Cat Stevens just got it right Yusuf Cat Stevens as he's known got it just right so he did the mix was fantastic and it just shows you the songs they resonate 
through the generations. That's the big thing that came across to me from Glastonbury this year. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. After the break, stay with us because Larry Stout is in the house, former lecturer at DKIT, and he has a lovely wee book out called That's Why I'm Here. Why are we here? Stay with us to find out. My next guest is probably best known in the North East as the man, every time I pass it I think of him anyway, as the man who put in place that big uh, generating windmill in DKIT that does so much for the college many years after he's left. He's a member of St Peter's Male Voice Choir. He's a wonderful musician. He's an author as well. And he's back with me today. And the string and the bow we're dealing with is his writing because he's a new book out called That's Why I'm Here, Thoughts on the Purpose and Meaning of Life. Larry Stout, you're very welcome back to the show. Hi, Jerry. Thank you very much for joining me. This, may I say, is a really thought-provoking book. And it's a question. It is a question. <laughs> what is the purpose? What is the meaning of this life? Let me ask you first, and, and to put the cards on the table, you are a member of the Baha'i Faith. Yes. Did that influence, you know, your work on this book? Well, the Baha'i Faith views itself as sort of an... Uh, as one of the religions around, but they're all from the same source. So in a sense, they're all um, all classes in one school. Mm. And so then we find that they all say pretty much the same thing. No surprise there, you mm. know. So, but yes, certainly that, that influenced me. But I was wondering about this question before I was a Baha'i as well. Yes, yes. And, it, and as you say, there are many faiths in the world. And really, when you examine them more closely, they're really all nearly saying the one thing. There is a greater God or power or creator or whatever. Is there, Larry? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I sort of, that's the, the argument that I try to develop in the book that is... Uh, that needs to be intellectually satisfying. That that sounds like a lot of words, but it it can't. We can't have this conflict between faith and reason, you know. And so, so in order to come up with ideas about purpose, my argument goes something like this: that there are different levels uh, of being in the in the world. There's the mineral the vegetable, the animal, the human. And so as humans, we see that. And then the, and, and each level knows nothing about the level above it. So I give the example of a farmer in the field. The bull chases the farmer out of the field, thinking that this farmer is just another animal. And so, uh, but the farmer actually has the power of life and death over the bull. Bull is ignorant of this. So... Logically, we should realize that there may be levels above us of which we are ignorant, cannot understand. Um, and so that there's a question, right? Mm-hmm. And then you look at uh, you look at religion and it says there are levels above us, you know <laughs> so <laughs> these figures with a capital S, these messengers with a capital M that show up every thousand years or so and and uh, give us some good information, you know, that we make use of. And, um, but then eventually we kind of mess it up. Mm. Another messenger I'm gonna is come, I'm going to come on to that in a yeah, moment. Yeah. But, but stay, with that, stay on point there for a moment. Mm. You believe, and, and through the book here you say, there is a greater power. Yeah. So then what is our purpose? What is the purpose? You, you have the different levels there, and, and I, I don't think I'm out of line here saying, you said about the bull, we as humans have, yes. you know, the ability. We are the highest level. We, we're capable of abstract thought. Yes. Which animals are not. Animals are captives of the laws of nature. And we, with our free will, can just do whatever we want. And, yes. Uh, yeah, we yeah. are. Which... And we are, too, for, <laughs> for the good and the bad as well. Correct. But what is the purpose of the short span? And they differ mm. for all of us that we mm. are allotted on the earth. Yeah. What, what's our purpose? Um, according to me. <laughs> yes. Um, and actually, I, I respect everybody's right to have their own opinion. And uh, But this is what I've come to the conclusion, that, uh, that we are here to develop spiritually. So what that means is when we pass on, uh, we move into another 
place uh, that that only uh, we don't bring our bodies with us, right? We take our spirits with us, apparently, according to the near-death experiences and according to religion. And so if that's all we take with us, the theory is that we want to be in tip-top shape spiritually. We want to be as caring as possible. We want to be as honest as possible. We want to have all these attributes like perseverance, all the qualities of the soul that you admire in others. And uh, so if we have these things, then it's like being born into this life as a, 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 a fully complete person. So in the, in the womb, we, we're developing physically. And then when the time comes where we come into this life and hopefully we're 100% physically, well, in this life, we should be developing spiritually so when we get to the next life, we're 100% spiritually. And uh, that's confirmed by religious teachings, but there is some kind of logic in it. So that's purpose number one. The only other purpose, according to me, is the second one, which is, while in this life, we should be of service to others. All the opportunities, all the gifts or talents that we have should be used to help others. And that is certainly confirmed, you know, in the teachings of religion. Uh, and so if we do that, strangely enough, we develop, we help develop these qualities we're supposed to be developing. You can't be generous without somebody to be generous, be generous to. Yes. And yet a lot of people look after themselves. May Fainer, you know the term here, yeah, in that, yeah, yeah. And, and really don't do, uh, you know, as much as maybe they could for others as well. So what you're saying is we build up the credits really here to take with us. Exactly. <laughs> to That's the next right. place. Yeah, well, it's credits, but it, it's also just simply being fully functional spiritually. Mm. And if we arrive in the next life handicapped, meaning we're not honest, you know, or we're not as honest as we should be, then, um, you know, it's unfortunate because apparently we won't get by as well in the next life. And it's an ongoing thing. That's the, that's one of the points that I make is that it's, we should be engaged with this uh, spiritual development every day, mm. every day. So at the end of the day, we look back and we say, oh, um, well, that guy gave me too much change when I left the shop and I didn't tell him about it. You know? <laughs> that was a mistake, you know, and maybe after thinking about it, you might go back the next day and... Put it right. Yeah, exactly. So there's all these challenges spiritually, you mm. know, besides all the other challenges of, of yes. life, you know. Well, well, come back then to where you were going a few moments ago about, you know, uh, the way mankind is the highest intelligence or whatever that we know of. Mm. Ruling over the rest. Yes. By God, we've made a mess of it, Larry. I know, yeah. The, the, the perspective I have had for a long time is that humanity has been through the stages of childhood, well, infancy, childhood, and now we're in adolescence. And so what are the characteristics of adolescence? We're running around. We're not thinking a whole lot about what we're doing, but we do have the beginnings of sort of uh, rational <laughs> thought, you know, but we're not very good at it, you know. We're, we're very good at deciding what we believe, but we're not very good at investigating what we believe, having decided what we believe, <laughs> you know. Yes. So it's quite unscientific. Yeah. And it's immature, yeah. you know. But I accept that this is a stage that humanity is going through. And so necessarily since we're in our adolescence, we wreak a certain amount of havoc. And that's what we're doing. But the, the good news is that maturity will probably only take a few centuries to come to. <laughs> <laughs> Which we hopefully won't uh, know much about and be in that next place, where, wherever that may be. But there is a real worry. Like when you, when you look at the world today, is it because we're more connected than ever that it, there's, there seems to be more friction and... Uh, war and famine and destruction and the threat of nuclear yeah. annihilation than ever. It's frightening stuff, all right. The, the, uh, I try to remain positive in the face of these facts. You and know? you do, in, and I, I hand do. it to you, you do in the book, you say you're hopeful. 
But uh, one of one of the ways to uh, give people hope in that regard is that if you if you look at um, once again, sort of the, the the evolution or the growing up of humanity. There was a stage when the the zone of peace for a person would be your cave, right? So you had your family there, your extended family, and maybe a guard at the door. But within the within the cave, you had this this area of peace. Well, maybe a thousand years or two after that, there were villages, and so within the village, a much bigger zone, it was peaceful. And then go on a few more thousand years, and then you had kingdoms, so a bunch of villages, you know, in a kingdom where it was peaceful. And then finally, the kingdoms united into nations. It was never obvious how to get to the next stage. Mm. Uh, one of the examples I give is you, if you were a villager in northern France in the Middle Ages, and somebody said to you, you know what? This area, Gaul, is going to become part of the great nation of France, which, France, which extends down to the Mediterranean. You might say, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> With some authority, you know. Yes. So when I say the next step for the human race is a peaceful world-level society, that's the next zone of peace. One nation. Yeah, well, no, not all the nations, but, but working together. Together. You know, yeah, not even, competing. Even within the... Political yeah. and geographical yeah, boundaries yeah. that exist. Correct. And so, how's that going to happen? Well, most people say, ain't going to happen, mm. because the way forward is not obvious. It's not obvious. So I'm like that guy in the Middle Ages That's in right. Gaul, exactly. and I'm thinking exactly. the same. Larry Stout is with me on Late Lunch, and we're talking about his beautiful wee book called That's Why I'm Here, and we are here on your Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Look, I was thinking about other another aspect of this book as well. When you look at the evolution of mankind, it went, may I say, just as an analogy to your bull, at snail's pace for millennia. And yet, in the last years, well, within a century, it could come even way up, last 20 years, Larry, let's say. Look at where it's gone. Is there vast a vast distance to go even into the future? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I... I quote Einstein in the book where he uh, talks about uh, he can only, uh, the, the slight details we're able to perceive with our frail and feeble mind. <laughs> and this is Einstein talking. And so here we are, and we can only understand the world as we see it. However, um, certainly technological progress has been extremely rapid over the last century, let's say, mm. but, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's a lot to do with the scientific method where we think uh, in a structured way about things and put our thoughts out there, our ideas that we've tested, you know, and then that way we can kind of come to some consensus in science about how things work <laughs> and um, and that other people think about it and say, okay, but you could change it a little bit this way, you know. And so we're... We're working cooperatively, cooperatively mm. in science, you yes. know, to 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 find truth, to put it that way, and um, and yet we we have so far to go. There's so much to be known, like Einstein. You know, we know almost nothing, and if we know we know nothing, that's a good starting point. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my God, I can only think millennia ahead when there's not a side of us that'll ever remember us where we will be at that stage. When you think, look, sure, my little iPhone here beside me, and I mentioned to you only in the last what uh, twenty years or so where this thing has taken us and the connectivity with what we call the online world, the internet, etc., and what we can do. Come back to the nations and the religions. You know that man Karl Marx said that uh, religion was the opiate of the masses. Yes, yeah, yeah. In the book, I talk about how new science has come up against old religion. And what I mean by that, and it isn't my original idea, I have to say, is that old religion was brought before the scientific method. And so... Um, science is not mentioned in the Quran. It's not mentioned in the New Testament. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It wasn't around, you know. And so how do people come to uh, understandings? Well, somebody would proclaim something and uh, and then enough, if enough people bought in, it became truth. 
right? But it was Donald it. Trump. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Truth social. Come yeah. on. But anyway, uh, so that's the way things were. But now, now we question everything mm. because we're adolescents, right? <laughs> and, and that's good. It's good. And so I think that not only are we beginning to use our intellectual powers for scientific thought, which has brought about this technological explosion, you know, but also we're going to do it spiritually, which is a new thing, because in the past, we had a priesthood. Well, we were illiterate. We were ignorant completely, never went to school, vast majority of people. And so the priesthood were educated and they had this information from the creator, right? And so they would convey it to us in more or less pure ways, <laughs> and uh, and that was a benefit to us. Now, so many of us are educated and we think about things on our own, mm. but it's a funny time because uh, we decide what we're gonna believe, which is good, but we, as I said before, we maybe don't think about it as much as we should. should. Mm. So I had a daughter who declared, she said, I think I'm gonna be a Buddhist, you know? And so my reaction was, that's great. That is a good thing. Buddhism is a good thing, you know? Why? And she says, because I think it's peaceful, you know, which is also probably true, yeah. you know? But that was the level of her investigation. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> which, it's just so adolescent, you know, I'm going to believe this, you know? <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> you know? So that's symbolic of, you know, uh, let's see. Well, let's say there's room for advancement in terms of mm. thinking mm. Uh, mm. as we leave adolescence and go into mm. maturity. So, but anyway, spiritual thinking will be the same way. Yes. So, you know, people will posit, propose things, and the other person will say, oh, really? Mm. Where did that come from? Mm. You know, and you need to have an answer. <laughs> 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 but the fact is there's truth out there to be known. It's just we... We haven't really thought too much about uh, religious truth for a long time because there's so much stuff mixed in with it, you know. Yes. Yeah. So basically, in summary today, what you're saying to us and... Uh, oh, by the way, before I forget, because we'll finish shortly the book, that's why I'm here. Where can they get hold of it? Yeah, if you just go onto Amazon, just about any Amazon, and look up, just put in my name, Lawrence Stout, that's Lawrence with a W, and then S-T-A-U-D-T, then a few books will come up, including mm. uh, yeah. this one here. The other thing is on YouTube, I'm presently working on a series of uh, presentations, one per chapter of the book, right? And so you'll, if you're not a book reader, you can go onto YouTube. That will and, be available on YouTube shortly. Yeah. Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. So, and, and not Amazon UK. You're better avoiding Amazon UK because there's a thing called Brexit happened. You know what I mean? So anyway, yeah. I wish you luck on that. But uh, all the other Amazons, that's why I'm here by Lawrence with a W-S-T-A-U-D-T. You can get the book there. So in summary, in the last few seconds, be good. Help others, do your best, get the credits in the back pocket before we move on. How does that sound as a summary? That sounds pretty good. And keep on top of it. You know what I mean? Really yeah. work at it because uh, life isn't something that happens to you. It's something you have to chase, you know. Lovely words to finish today, Larry. Really lovely to meet you again. Thank you so much. So thought-provoking. Thank you for coming in to me on the show today. Thanks a lot, Terry. Uh, Lawrence Stout there joining us. Wonderful. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... Our number five from this very week in 1976. Going back a little bit. But you look at... Look at Glastonbury yesterday, keep referring back to it. Go back all you want, people love it. And uh, the songs in the top fives, they were all good songs. And I'll tell you this, uh, putting this together every week for you, it's very difficult to get five songs in the noughties, uh, in the nineties, in uh, the uh, teens, if you call the more recently years in, the, in this century, to get five in a top five 
that actually, you know, make good listening and good music, to be honest with you. You do have to go back to get five of them, and this week is no exception. A great week indeed. Well, we start at number five today, and when I tell you it's from the album uh, A Night on the Town, do you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Mr. Rod Stewart, another man of uh, mature years, who had a little bit of a, a Barney, I believe. He was playing somewhere in the UK yesterday, and he walked off stage. They cut the power on Rod at half ten. The power just went off he went you couldn't hear him because I tell you where it was Plymouth Home Park in Plymouth I remember now the football ground of the local team Plymouth Argyle there was a curfew at 10.30 in agreement with the residents and everything just went and Rod was gone <laughs> he ain't happy Rod ain't happy he might be back in Plymouth soon anyway just a little uh, in aside to the, uh, the song today anyway this is going back to 76 massive number one in the USA it was Rod's second number one there but only made it to number five in the UK did you know this the song was originally banned by the BBC because of suggestive lyrics yes it was indeed but they relented and away they went god it looks so twee now looking from 2023 back to 1976 and here's another one how come he always got them Britt Eklund was his girlfriend at the time the beautiful Britt Eklund and she features on this track yes it's our five from 76 June this week tonight's the night Tonight's the night. Mr. Rod Stewart on your late lunch today. Number five in our top five countdown from this week in 1976, featuring the beautiful Brit Eklund uh, on the track there, whispering in uh, French dulcet tones. Anyway, tomorrow we move on with four, three, two and one up to Friday on the countdown. Up next on the show, we've been talking about Glastonbury from the start of the show and right through as well, different aspects of it. Anyway, the Mary Wallopers appeared at Glastonbury. Yes, they did. And we're chatting to them next. Our very own Mary Wallopers on the bill at Glastonbury. And Charles Hendy is on the line with me this afternoon. Hiya, Charles. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely great. Well, congratulations. Do you feel you've made it now that you've appeared at Glasto? Well, I'll tell you one thing. Do you know what I feel? I feel I have a big, massive headache at the moment. So, because uh, uh, I was out last night watching Elton John and all that. So, oh. I, I don't think I can rest on my laurels just yet. Well, 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 you're entitled after a night like that. Wasn't he fantastic? Yeah, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. The guests weren't great, I didn't think, but uh, mm. he was, it was some show. It was unbelievable. Anyway, tell us the story about the Wallopers. When did you appear and what stage were you and what happened? So, we did uh, the acoustic stage which is it, it maybe a misleading name. I think it's a capacity of 8,000. Yeah. And it was packed. And uh, then we did the Crow's Nest, which is another stage, really tiny stage that is. That's probably about 50 people at it. So we went from about 8,000 to 50. Mm. And then uh, we did uh, the BBC after that at 1 a.m. So we were we were interviewed and stuff and, and uh, did a gig there. Yes, terrific. Well, I'll tell you, you've... Uh, uh, pulled yourselves round Glasto to different venues and well done to you it's a wonderful achievement and to get three outings uh, was simply I know, fantastic I've been myself around Glastonbury now for the last three days <laughs> <laughs> tell us about the place because I've never been and I'd like to go and I don't know whether I ever will get there you know when you look Come at on. it on television can I can I yeah, if you carry the bow on. I'll carry your boots. Never mind the bow on if you bring me to Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> but tell us about the place. You know, when you see it on television, it looks spectacular. It is spectacular on the ground when you're there. It is. It is. Uh, it's it's a hell of an experience. There's 350,000 people at this and uh, 70,000 crew. So... Uh, it's this city essentially pops up over the weekend and not even just a weekend but about a week I think maybe two or three weeks for some people and uh, so we're still here now on site Uh, so so we're we're, we we were going to leave but then uh, I think the traffic your man said it was five hours to get out of the place oh wow sit we are have another beer is it nice is it a nice day there it is scorching lovely scorching 
Love don't it. talk to me about beer. I've had me fill of it. <laughs> I, I will say it now on LMFM. I am finished drinking. <laughs> Charles Handy makes a serious commitment on your late lunch on LMFM radio this afternoon. And I'm going to become very religious now as well. <laughs> I'll be going around like a holy Joe now. There won't be anything. <laughs> Charles, don't do that. We wouldn't like that at all. We want you and we love you as you are, yourself, Andrew and Sean. Oh, you're fantastic. Yeah, no, stay put. You're, you're you're good. I think you're in a good space where you are. But look, seriously, to to go there and perform is a really fantastic uh, privilege and a great achievement. I want to come back to that again. How did you get the gig? So, well, uh, as we were just asked to play it, I suppose. We were actually originally asked to play two different gigs. We were asked to play the park stage and the acoustic stage. But the park stage and the acoustic, you can't do two gigs on main stage. It's mm. so uh, the slot at the acoustic gig was a bit later, so so we just took that. But I, I, we just get asked to play everywhere. To be honest, yeah. we're going to Belgium next week. Brilliant. So, Brilliant. Yeah, we were in Paris last week, so we're 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 not <laughs> stopping anytime soon. <laughs> the Hendy brothers are living the life, and that is the truth. If you're living the life as being on a Ryanair flight more than you be in your own bed. <laughs> well, that's a story for another day. We won't get into that. They're not doing the da, 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 anymore. That's not oh, so bad anyway. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Thank yeah. God. Um, in terms of those numbers you mentioned, 350,000, 70,000 people working out. You're right. It's just a city descends on a, city, a farm yeah. there, which is incredible to behold. Um, you, you watch Elton. Anyone else from your perspective, from a musician's point of view, that you were impressed with that you went to see? Well, I went to see this Jamaican artist called Barrington Levy, who's a singer from like the 80s in Jamaica, and he was very good, like an amazing voice. But uh, to be honest, the main thing we were looking forward to was seeing Elton John and, and just to see a people even at that. And the show that he put on was fantastic. Okay. It was brilliant. You know, it, it's just such a spectacle to see uh, the the concert, and, and rightly so, because if you're playing at the Pyramid Stage in Glastonbury, it should be a show, you know. Mm. Mm. Huge spectacum. Yeah. Fireworks never. I've mentioned Lizzo myself a few times. She was very impressive. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lizzo's great. Mm. She has the songs and she has the moves and everything else besides. She's a big, big star. So I, I take it now that you've uh, conquered the acoustic stage. Um, you'll be looking for a bigger stage next year, year after? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, we'll be on a bigger stage next year, 100%. So uh, uh, we might we'll, 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 we'll never see you back in Peggy Moore's, will we? You never know. <laughs> we uh, Now, when I quit to drink there a few minutes ago, I was thinking I'd never be in the pub again. <laughs> but now that I'm back on it, uh, I might go down to Peggy. <laughs> well, let me tell you, just as I said those words, Glenn McGowan, who you know well, from Peggy oh. Moore's, has just messaged us in. And oh, he wants Glenn. to say to you that he's still hungover from the sessions he's had in the FLA three or four <laughs> years ago. Yeah, I think it shook me as well now, Glenn. <laughs> I can tell you one thing. The, the likes will never be seen again. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're always welcome, despite what Glenn says there in uh, Peggy Moore's. <laughs> they love to have you back. Thanks, Glenn. Great to hear from you today. And he says you were. You had a fantastic time. You organised so much, didn't you? You did indeed. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. Anyway, from the Fla to Glastonbury, uh, well done, lads, to the Mary Wallopers. We're going to play Thank out you. with you today. Thanks so much for joining me, Charles. Best Love wishes. Me. God, God bless God, you. God. See you. Bye. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Drive on the way. See you tomorrow, 1.30. Here they are, fresh from Blastonbury, the Mary Wallopers. See you tomorrow. A pretty fair maid, and she was handsome, tall, and young. Until at length I did discover that she had a false and fluttering tongue. If I had have loved her, foolish would I be, but love will never, never conquer me. And honor anyone will me conquer or keep me from my flowing bowl. When I am single, single I am free, love will never, never conquer me.
Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.